about this question of Israel's peace deals, that the land of Israel, the picture that it paints of that place is of a place that is at rest, that of a people that are dwelling safely in verse 11. And, uh, and it's, a, it's, it's invaded by this army. And we're going to look at that, that a, little, a little bit later. And we realize that this prophecy is also saying to us that these are the events that unfold just before the world really knows who God is and that God is going to reveal himself somehow to the world. And that's what we've just seen in verse 23 when the chapter ends on that crescendo and they shall know that I am the Lord, that I am Yahweh. So this is an important chapter to consider. What does it mean? What's it all about? What is being said to us through these words? So we're going to consider that as we as we look at um, the prophecy. And then we're going to look up and look at world events and see what's happening in our world and see whether some of the things that are depicted in the Bible are happening because we as Christadelphians believe that they are. So hopefully it'll be quite interesting. Hopefully it'll be exciting. And uh, we look forward to uh, to going through that. Let me just um, try and uh, make sure I get everything working. Uh, there's always technology to contend with. So all being well, um, and I'm assuming that that's okay, that you can now see it should say uh, Bible prophecy and Israel's peace deals. Lull before coming storm. So let's get into this. First of all, a few preliminary points that we want to set out. The Bible says that we should have faith. And one of the things that we should have faith in is that uh, is, is, is depicted in this verse in, in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Through faith, we understand that the worlds, and in the Greek, that means the ages, the epochs of time, were framed or created or designed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So what we believe as Bible believers is that God is in control and that he has a plan and he's actually framed and designed and marked out epochs of time that he is in control of. In, in this chapter in Ezekiel 38, the epoch of time that was being talked about is this time period known as the latter days. We're going to look at that in, in shortly. But there's different time periods that God has marked out. And soon we believe there's going to be a new age, a kingdom age, an age when the Lord Jesus Christ has returned to the earth and established his rule from Jerusalem, an age that we can hardly even imagine now, but through faith we look for that time. So that's the first thing that we wanted to point out. The Bible doesn't depict a passive God, a God who sits back. There's a, there's a God who has designed key events, key epochs of time for a specific purpose, which he has set out. So, you know, and there's a degree of faith required to accept that. A couple of other things that we want to point out. This is still in the same sort of theme. But the Bible also tells us that God is in control of the rulership of the earth. Our, you know, unknown to man, God actually um, ordains or, or, or controls or appoints the powers that be 
over uh, the different countries and over the different territories of the earth. We read that, for example, in Romans 13, verse 1, where we read, the powers that be are ordained of God. Or in Daniel 4, in the Old Testament, the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. So God is in control of human affairs. It can seem a bit strange because we think, well, why, why doesn't God just kind of change everything and make sure everything's nice and lovely? Uh, and then we realize that there is a bigger plan that God is at work on here. And that's, um, that's what we seek as Christadelphians to preach and to teach as we do in our lectures and our, and our Bible talks. But just for this, please take this one point away, that God is in control of human affairs, even though humans don't really realize it. One final point before we get into our subject. We read that the Bible that we have in our hands, the scriptures uh, that, that, as they've become known as, the Holy Bible, that that Bible is none other than the words of God himself, penned by men, that he's caused and inspired to write down those words. But ultimately, they are designed and chosen and, and set out by God himself. That's what we as Christadelphians believe. We hold the Bible in a very high regard because of that. We don't see uh, any other book or any other source of information sitting on a par with the scriptures. And we read, for example, in Timothy, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It means it's been breathed out by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And in Amos, we read that God will do nothing but revealeth his secrets unto his servants, the prophets. And so we believe that God has caused the Bible to be written. And in this Bible, he's revealed his plan. We've not been left alone to scrabble around in the dark as human beings. We have been given the light of the word of God. And so as Christadelphians, that's how we approach this subject. This is how we, we, we this is our worldview, that humanity, as it were, is in darkness. And it's only through the light of the word of God that we can have make some sense of what's happening around us. The eternal creator is the other voice in the conversation that many people we believe miss out on because they're not listening or reading or understanding the word of God. Now, this some of the events we're going to talk about around prophecy and God revealing his plan. I wanted to just make this point that the founder of our community, I mean, we believe that there have been true believers down through time, all the centuries, but but the late, you know, in terms of what we're aware of as Christadelphians in terms of our community, it was started by this chap with an excellent beard. Um, one can only aspire to a beard like that, but with this, this excellent beard, a chap called John Thomas. And it's interesting because I know, obviously, I'm giving this uh, Bible talk um, on behalf of the Christadelphians in Nottingham. But it's interesting that that really our community in its embryonic form started when this man, John Thomas, he came over from America in June, uh, on June 28th, uh, 1848. And then in the July following, he received an invitation to visit Nottingham. And he was going to go to Nottingham to deliver this course of lectures upon the times in connection with the prophetic word. So we just wanted to make the point that as a community, what we're about to talk about, this idea, this view that God is in control of world affairs and that God has revealed these 
things to us in the word. This is something we've been talking about as a community for over a hundred odd years. And uh, John Thomas went there. I don't know if uh, you know anyone knows this down in town. I think it's just around the corner from Marks and Spencers to the uh, assembly rooms on low pavement. And he delivered a series of events which are recorded as we can see in, uh, in various newspapers. And thanks to John Miller for, for sending me those some time ago. But I find it fascinating that you know, he was speaking on the destinies of cities, countries, and empires. And what some of the things we'll show you that he was saying, we are seeing happening right now. He wasn't some sort of special prophet. He wasn't guided by the Holy Spirit. He didn't claim any sort of supernatural mystical powers. All he said was, I read the Bible, I believe the Bible, and therefore these things will happen. And I want to make that point because some of the things that are happening in the world today, you might start to think, well, Matt's just trying to crowbar these events into the Bible. I mean, who would have seen that coming? But some of them, most of them, in fact, the big ones, we have as a community been looking for. And that's quite interesting. And I thought I'd just mention that. And it's not us. It's the word of God. That's the, that's the focus here. One other final mini point is that we don't take a political stance. We're not here to champion any politics, any nation, anything particularly like that. We are here to, to look at the Bible. That's our, that's our position. We take up the the kind of the, the position of, of the, the faithfuls of old, again, in Hebrews 11, that, that, that is mentioned here, that they all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them and, and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They looked for something that was coming. They, 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 this life was considered as being temporary and the future was where their hearts were. And that's where we like to, like to operate in, our, in, our, in, in the way that we see the world. We're not political. We are observers, though, of politics. So many Christadelphians, you'll find, are, are very interested in politics, very interested in the movement of the nations because we study Bible prophecy and God's revealed his plan therein. So I wanted to begin our considerations proper then, if we can, by turning over to uh, the New Testament, actually, and to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to come back to Ezekiel, so you might want to um, pop a marker in Ezekiel 38, but, but just flick over to Luke chapter 21. If you haven't got a Bible, I will be putting the verses on the screen, so uh, feel free to do that. But it is helpful, I always find, to open the Bible and see it for yourself, right? So we have Luke chapter 21, and um, this is what we read in, in verses 5 and 6. And as some spake of the temple, so Jesus here is in Jerusalem, and thereby the temple, as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts, Jesus said, as for these things which ye behold, the days will come in the which there shall not be left one stone upon another that will that shall not be thrown down so here we have the lord jesus christ um he's uh, he's in his mortal life and he's with his disciples they're in jerusalem and they're by the temple and this was the glorious jewish temple that herod the great had helped to beautify and they were there looking at it and jesus proclaims this rather profound prophecy this temple is not going to stand. All of the stones you're looking at, they're all going to be thrown down. 
And in this chapter, what's fascinating, and if you keep going, is he, exp he, he goes through various details of what's going to happen to the temple and to the people of Israel. And uh, he says this when we get to verse 24. Uh, well, and ver well, I suppose um, a, few, a few verses before that, verse, um, verse 20 it starts, When ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. And then verse 24, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So what's Jesus saying here? He, he spoke this prophecy on the Mount of Olives. We're going to look at that a little bit later. But this is what he, um, he, he said. He said Jerusalem would be destroyed. He said that the Jews would be scattered. But that wouldn't remain a permanent situation. He says eventually, notice the word. It says until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Until that time is finished. Uh, then eventually they would return to Jerusalem and would be restored. And so we see that this times of the Gentiles is one of those times that God has marked out for the epochs of time, you know, framed by the word of God. And Jesus clearly understood that. He knew that there was this time when the Jewish era, where there was a temple and a sacrifice and so on, would come to an end. And there would be a period of time when the Jews were not in control of Jerusalem. And then that time would end and the time of the Gentiles would be over and it would be restored again to Jerusalem. And we see this in other prophets. Here's a prophet that spoke uh, about this before the time of Jesus, was looking ahead beyond the time of Christ. This is the prophet Hosea. He says, for the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, and without a prince, and without a sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, and without teraphim. They'll have no royalty. They'll have no rulership. They'll have no religious worship that they can fulfill. They'll, they'll not have, have, have any of those privileges that would all be taken away from them, because in Hosea's time, they had some of that. And then it says, the prophecy says, afterward. So after this time where all of those things will be taken away from the nation, afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord, Yahweh their God. And David, David means the beloved. It's another word, I believe, for the Lord Jesus. And David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness. When? In the latter days. So if you were a Bible believer... Back then, back at the time of Jesus, back at the time of Hosea, you'd know that there's this time period of, of, dis, of, of when the nation of Israel would be no more. But then in the latter days, Israel will be restored and, and begin to come back to God. And we believe that this is the start. This, in the, this reference here to David, their king, indicates the, the kingship of King David and the rulership of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one thing that's fascinating is shortly after the time of the Lord Jesus, history tells us that the Romans came to Jerusalem in AD 70 and ransacked and burnt and destroyed the city. And uh, one of the interesting things is that they threw down the stones of the temple. We know this, this is a, a well-documented historic fact. This is a relief from the Arch of Titus that's displayed in Rome. And on the side of that arch, you can see the Roman soldiers carrying away materials from the Jewish temple, including the Jewish menorah, as you can see there. And that's the Arch of Titus in the bottom left, 
which was built to commemorate the victories of Titus, and, and this was done under his, uh, his, his rulership. And when you go to Jerusalem, you can go today and you can see the stones that were thrown from the top of this plateau where the temple once stood down to the street below, and they've excavated them, and you can see them down there in the middle. And also coins have been struck. That one struck. That, that, that one says Judea Capta which was a victory coin that the Romans struck uh, to commemorate this victory over the Jews. And so that's what had happened. So the Jews were scattered by the Romans, and for nearly 2,000 years, they wandered from pillar to post, as it were, to, to, to different areas of Europe. They would be banished. They were kind of considered as, as gypsies almost. They, they would wander from one place to the other. They were banished, I think, from England in the 1200s. And so this idea of the wandering Jew came about. They really had no place, no homeland, but they still retained a national identity, which is remarkable. For 2,000 years, they retained their identity. Now, going back to this chap, John Thomas, he said this in his book that he wrote shortly after giving those lectures in Nottingham in 1848. This is his book, Elpis Israel. This is what he says after studying the Bible and looking at some of those chapters that we've and verses that we've just looked at. He says this. There is then a partial and primary restoration of Jews before the manifestation. And he means the the return of Christ, which is to serve as the nucleus or basis of future operations in the restoration of of the rest of the tribes after he has appeared in the kingdom. The pre-adventual, that means the, the, the bit before Christ comes, the pre-adventual colonization of Palestine will be on purely political principles and the Jewish colonists will return in unbelief of the messiahship of Jesus and of the truth as it is in him. They will emigrate thither as agriculturalists and traders in the hope of ultimately establishing their commonwealth. Now, he said that in 1848, when Palestine, as it was known then, was under control by the Ottoman Turks. And so he was one of these ones that looked at the Bible, had faith in what it said, and realized that, that Jesus had said that this time of the Gentiles would come to the end, that the prophets had said that there would be this restoration before Jesus actually is revealed, the Jews would return to their land. And so you can imagine for people within our Christadelphian community that how ecstatic they were, how excited they were that when in 1948, after the British mandate over Palestine came to an end, you might just remember quick history that the, the Ottoman Empire, um, the, the British power drove that back in World War I and then was given the mandate or the, the control over that area. And then in in 1948, the British decided to pull out and to allow uh, the territory to be ruled by the, the powers that it had thought it put in place. And it had put some Arabs uh, in place of Jordan and places like that. And it, it, it left the land of Palestine, as it was then known, to its own devices. And so in 1948, the Jewish people declared independence. And this is David Ben-Gurion in the middle there reading the independence speech on the 14th of May 1948. And of course, the Arab peoples refused to acknowledge this nation of Israel. They wanted the whole of the land to be given to them. The state of Israel was born. Now, against all the odds that came about, really, 
You know, if you actually think about it, you know, the Jews were nowhere. There were a few in the land of Israel, but they weren't they weren't really there on mass. They were in Europe. They were in parts of Russia. They were all over the place, scattered. The, the, the British people saw um, that this this idea that there should be this homeland for those people and decided to help. They didn't do a brilliant job because they left the land in such a mess as and we're still witnessing that today. But nonetheless, we believe that this is part of God's plan and Bible prophecy has predicted it. And as I say, it is it really is against all the odds, because in 1948, as soon as Israel declared independence, a ton of Arab nations decided to attack. And literally, you can go and see some of the battle uh, battlegrounds now, even today, and and some of the most remarkable stories of survival by the um, by the Israelis. You know, really, some of the some of the things that they did, they had hardly any equipment, they had hardly any tanks, they had hardly hardly any guns. They were outnumbered, outgunned, out tanked, if you like, um, and they again and against a swathe of Arab nations that wanted to wipe them off the map. And yet, somehow, they not only they survived. And then as time went on, they were attacked even more. There was the Sinai War against Egypt. And then in 1967, there was the Six-Day War where Egypt, under President Nassar, decided to, to, to rally all of the Arab nations around to come against Israel. And in some amazing and dramatic feats, the Israelis, they not only defeated those nations and and um, they did a preemptive strike and there's some also some very interesting stories around how that all came about but they actually drove and and gained more ground um and uh, destroyed all the airfields uh, and the air uh, and controlled the air the skies before the arabs actually managed to 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 really do much damage so again an amazing feat against all of those well equipped well armed well resourced arab nations and as we go on there's loads of other wars where the arab nations around have hated israel they've despised them they've never seen their legitimacy and so they've been attacking them and more recently they're more they're kind of more sponsoring kind of doing proxy wars through hezbollah and hamas so there we are. The, 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 the situation is as it, as it is. And, and obviously, we, we have the situation where there's the Palestinians who feel that the land is theirs and the Israelis who feel that the land is theirs. And there's all these tensions and problems. But as I say, we're not here to make any political point. We're just observing. We're just stating the fact that Jerusalem now is in the hands um, and controlled by Jews again that the Jews are back in their land after 2,000 years, that they have retained an identity against all the odds. And really, my dear friends, um, uh, you know, my point to you is, is if you really go into these things and do your research, you've got to ask yourself the question, is this just coincidence? Or is there something else going on? Are the prophecies of the Bible being fulfilled? Israel's population is 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 you know it's exponentially growing they call it making aliyah it's the return they're returning to their homeland for that was theirs 2000 years ago and now with all that preamble in play i'd like us to flick back to that prophecy that uh, that john read for us at the start ezekiel chapter 38 now you'll appreciate we can't go into huge depth in and around this prophecy. 
But what I'd like us to note is a couple of things that there's there's two real force. Well, there's a big event that's being that's taking place. And that event here is the invasion of Israel in the latter days. It says that there in verse 16, that this army will come up against God's people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days. And this army, the the the, the nations that take part in this army are actually um, given to us, named, listed in verses one through, uh, well, through to really to, 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 to seven. Um, and we, we read them there. We've got, I'm going to put them on, the, on, the, on a map. They're, they're listed by their ancient names. But these people um, are the Rosh, Meshach and Tubal in verse two. So where it says the chief prince in the authorized version, that's a betterly translated as the Rus or the Rosh. Um, the, 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 the prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal. So these peoples are involved and they're headed up by this mysterious character in verse two called Gog. We don't know who Gog is. It seems to be the title of a king. And so there's this leader called Gog, who's the, the, the prince of Russia. And Meshach and Tubal are also Russian territories. So, so it would seem that Russia is the dominant nation involved. And as we go through, we find there's other nations. So if you look at verse five, it says there's Persia, which is modern day Iran. There's Ethiopia and Libya, North African territories. There's Goma, which is an ancient name for the, uh, the, the Gauls that, are in, around, that, that were around the area of France. And then we have the, uh, the people of Tagama. Um, who are, well, it says the house of Tagama. So Tagama is really the Turkic uh, nations, Turkey, but the house of Tagama seems to indicate the Turkic nations, which are located more to the east. And um, on top of this, there's this, this Gog is of the land of Magog. And that is, seems to be this area of the Scythians, ancient Scythia, which is the heart of Europe. So what we have painted for us by the prophets is this picture of all these nations coming down from the north, it says, against Israel. And um, so that's that's one block of nations. But there's another block of nations there in verse 13 or 12 and 13, which which really, well, we'll read verse 13. It says, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all the young lions thereof shall say unto this invader, art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and goods, to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil? So what we have here is another set of nations, a set of nations not with, not allied with, not, not in a military alliance, not in a political alliance, not in a trade alliance with the invading forces. This separate challenging sort of power block of nations, they seem to be a little bit weaker. They don't seem to be able to do much. They kind of just say, what are you doing? Have you come to, what are you doing? You know, have you come to take a spoil? And we believe, and we speak on this um, quite a bit, we mention this in a minute, in a bit more detail, that, that these nations refer none other to uh, the British power of Tarshish. The young lions, we believe, are the political offspring of Tarshish, the independent colonies now of the British power. So we would see America, Canada, 
Australia, New Zealand, places like that being part of the Young Lions. And they're there trading, it would seem, with Sheba and Dedan. And we will show you shortly that they are the nations of the Gulf. So what we believe as Christadelphians and, and students of the prophetic word is that we're looking for a situation where the British power is separate from Europe, is separate from Russia, is separate from, the, from Iran and the, you know, the antagonism that's going on there, and is allied and trading in the Gulf. And uh, the Gulf states, again, they're not with Iran, they're not with Russia, they're allied with the British and the, and the American powers. So that's what we're looking for. Now, when is Ezekiel 38 going to take place? Let's just um, be clear about this. Well, look at verse 8. It says, After many years thou shalt be visited in the latter years, or the latter days, thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste, but it is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. So that's the situation. We've got a land that's been brought back. The people have been brought back. War has stopped. This army comes against the mountains of Israel, which are in the middle of the land of Israel. Interestingly, the West Bank area. And um, they come and, and, and it seems that at this time, when this prophecy takes place, the people there are dwelling safely, as we've already mentioned. And then if we look at verse 12, again, we get a similar picture. The, this army has come to take a spoil and to take a prey to turn its hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, which have gotten cattle and goods and dwell in the midst of the land. So, it, so clearly for this prophecy to take place, the Jews, Israel, have to be restored to their land. And we've seen that that's taking place. They have to be wealthy. They've got cattle. They've got goods. And um, there's this spoil that's worth coming down. And we know that Israel is becoming incredibly wealthy, particularly with its offshore oil and gas that it's found. And finally, we've noted there that they, this army comes against the mountains of Israel. And I mentioned just then, didn't I, that this is really the mountains. They run down the middle of Israel, um, sort of, um, uh, you know, between the sea and the Dead Sea Valley. The, you can see it there on, uh, on the maps. And that area of the West Bank in 1967, in the Six Day War, when Israel fought off the aggression that, uh, of, the, of the Arab nations and took that land, was never accepted mainly by the international community as being, as being part of their territory. And so as Israel builds settlements on there, they consider it their own land, their homeland, their ancestors' homeland. They consider that they got it you know, fair and square in war, if you like. So they're building settlements there. As they're building them, the Arab nations and the international community are in uproar. So it's interesting to watch that situation. You know, this prophecy was 2,000 years ago. How did the prophet know that on the mountains of Israel, there would be international controversy in the latter days? Interesting. Coincidence? Now, notice it said very clearly there, that, that this army is going to come to them that are at rest, that dwells safely, or the word in Hebrew means securely. So what we're looking for is a state when that takes place. I mentioned to you that we believe that the, the nation of Tarshish there 
is none other than the British power. Now, you won't find a verse that says Tarshish is Britain, right? It's the ancient names. It's very actually hard to know. No one really knows, you know, from an academic perspective, who Tarshish is. There's no kind of clear connection. But we believe that when you piece together the clues that are in Scripture and the reality of what's happened uh, of some of these clues, you'll find that they all point to Britain. They only can point to Britain. One of the most interesting and, and clear examples is that wherever Tarshish was, we read in Ezekiel 27 that it was a source of silver, iron, tin, and lead. And it took those resources and it went to Tyre, which is in Lebanon, and the, through the Phoenician trades and traded them there in Tyre. Now, Interestingly, the only place in the ancient world that you could get all of those metals and, and, and there's, there's ample evidence of them being resourced at mass is indeed from Britain, from particularly the tin. It's very rare and that, that, you know, there's, there's, there's tin mines going back to the Bronze Age in, in Cornwall and, and anyone that's gone any, done any traveling around Cornwall will know that. Interestingly, even I think it was last year or it might have been the year before then now, um, they found this loads of loads of kind of um, studies were done on on wrecks from the Bronze Age, from the time of Ezekiel around Israel, around the coast of Israel. And when they did the tests on the tin that they found in these wrecks, they found that it came from Cornwall. So we believe that this Tarshish power is Britain. And there's loads of other things that we could say in relation to that. Uh, Britain then that's separate from Europe and that is um, that is trading with the Gulf. And so we've seen that. And the young lions, as we've said, are their political offspring. A young lion is an independent lion that can fight its own battles and win its own food. It's interesting. We don't hinge the point on it, but it's interesting that, that the colonies of Britain were are nearly always referred to in the past as these young lions. And so we can see that there in that World War I poster. And finally, we, we, we noted uh, recently that it's kind of like Britain's woken up again. Um, they were part of the European Union. We were a bit puzzled as Bible students. We didn't expect them to be allied with the European powers because of Ezekiel 38. And now we've seen them separate. Again, something that Christadelphian writers wrote about long before it happened. What about this Dedan then and Sheba? Well, Dedan, you can go to Dedan today. I don't know if you knew that. But if you go to Saudi Arabia, you can find that Dedan is an actual place. Um, obviously, it was a, a kingdom and a people at, a time, at one time, but now it is, um, it, it's located in Al-Ullah in Medina province in Saudi Arabia. So you can pop along there when COVID lifts and we can travel again. And there's many, um, many kind of uh, uh, experts which will explain that Sheba and Dedan reside in the region of Arabia, in the Gulf. So when we look up from the Bible, right, we're looking for a British-American young lion um, confederacy with, with the Gulf states against the Russian-Iranian North African uh, European powers, separate from them, trading together. And it's very, very interesting because even 20 years ago, you know, you would say, this is pretty impossible, Matt. This is pretty crazy that you, you believe this. But notice what's been happening. So 
one of the things that we need to realize is that in the Arab world, there is a difference between the Sunnis and the Shiites. And, um, and these are different uh, Muslim groups that believe in a different, um, different kind of lineage from the Prophet Muhammad. And they don't, they follow different rules and they don't particularly get on all the time particularly well fundamentally. And what's interesting is, is that the Shiite nations there in the blue on this map uh, contain Iran. And Iran is dominated by this Shiite uh, way of looking at things. But the southern Arab states in the Gulf, they are mainly Sunni. And so we have uh, this division of, of uh, this theological di division between the two. And, um, but, but they, but the, the, the Shiites particularly are not, they really hate the Sunnis, really deep down, it, it would seem. And they're very antagonistic towards them. So Iran and Saudi Arabia do not get on. Iran is particularly militant. Um, as, as no doubt we know if when we turn on our, our TV stations, we find that. And so it's interesting that this division of, of religion and this division of, of requirement, I mean, Iran hates Israel, fervently hates Israel. And, um, and so basically, Israel is enemy number one. They call it the little Satan. And, uh, and, and, but the southern Sunni states, they know that after Israel, if Israel ever fell, then Iran would turn its attention on to them because it would want to establish uh, the, the Shiite religion uh, into their quarters. They consider them as not being faithful to the prophets. So we've got this situation that has been sort of designed, as it were, um, that divides these, these, these nations along the lines of what we read in Ezekiel 38. And re interestingly, recently, we've, we've been witnessing the tragic war in Syria, haven't we? And this article I found quite interesting, this is a summary of it from the Atlantic, really tells us what's going on behind the scenes. It talks about these proxy wars. So you've got the Syrian government there, which is backed by Russia and Iran and Hezbollah. So we've got Rosh and Meshach and Tubal, and then we've got Persia there. And then we have the rebels that are fighting the Syrian government, and they're backed by the US-led coalition, including Britain and America. And they're backed by Turkey and, interestingly, by the Gulf states. And so by proxy, all these nations are kind of sponsoring what's going on. And you can see there in bottom left where they've said there's a sectarian war going on and a proxy war going on. That's what's happening. Incredibly complex what's going on. But Iran is particularly antagonistic. It hates Israel. It hates the USA. And it loves Russia. So we find that, you know, even in recent the recent past, you know, pr prime ministers of Iran have been very clear as to their attempt, uh, their declaration of what they want to do with, with Israel. Wipe Israel off the map, um, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad was recorded as saying. And uh, this is gro given great alarm to the Israelis because um, Iran's looking to create uh, its nuclear capabilities. And you might remember that Netanyahu is uh, particularly worried about that. He went to the United Nations and tried to explain that he's very concerned that they're near to getting a nuclear bomb, which of course would spark a terrible nuclear war in the region. And uh, we know that the international community on the whole 
allowed Iran to carry on. Um, and, um, and so, you know, we have these massive concerns um, by the Israelis. And so we see that then the enemy of uh, my enemy is my friend kind of philosophy going on. The Sunnis in the south, they're actually, at, you know, trying to get, get together against Iran, who's getting very powerful. And they're, they're looking at Israel. They're thinking, we've got, we've got to support Israel somehow. They, even though we, you know, we disagree with them being there, maybe we need to start making peace with them because, and supporting them because Iran is, is against them and the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so what they've realized is the Israelis don't have such a threat as the Iranians. And so it's time to really do a deal, even though it's against all the instincts of the Arab world. And we've seen that in the Abraham Accords. And remember what the prophecy said. The prophecy says that at the time, just before the invasion, it would be the uh, peace, the net, the land. And so we find that the diplomatic ties with the Arab countries are, particularly the southern ones, are softening. Um, and, uh, and there's now official peace deals that have been done with, with, uh, with various uh, of them and Israel. Um, Jordan and Egypt, I think, have had a peace deal in place for a while, but the Gulf is where we're interested. And so we find a lot of activity going on uh, down there. You know, it was that man, Donald Trump, which many people shiver at when we mention it now. But, you know, we believe as Christadelphians, God is in control. And no matter what we think of Donald Trump, look what he did. You know, it's interesting from a Bible prophecy perspective. He uh, he recognized Israel. He brought the American embassy into Jerusalem, recognizing Jerusalem. He has brokered these deals, these peace accords. Um and, uh, and, and, it, and it's described here as a major diplomatic ag uh, agreement. Uh, he did that with the UAE, and they normalized their relations. And, um, and here are the Abraham Accords. They actually wrote them down. And so we have uh, this idea of peace and stability written into these accords. In fact, the word peace is mentioned seven times. Um, and, um, and so it's quite interesting that it's peppered there uh, all the way through. But look at this, peace and stability. The parties shall attach profound importance to mutual understanding, cooperation, and coordination between them in the spheres of peace and stability as a fundamental pillar of their relations. Recognizing the new era of peace and friendly relations between them, as well as the centr centrality of stability to the well-being of their respective peoples and of the region, the parties undertake to consider and discuss these matters regularly and so on. And so we see that sign between America, between um, the, the various Arab nations, the, um, uh, the, the, the UAE, I think this one is, and Israel. Interesting, right? We've got that defense, as it were, um, defense challenging group coming together as the Bible predicts. Now, I don't know if this will come through. I hope it will, but but this is what, uh, it's only very short. This is what Netanyahu sent to the uh, United Arab Emirates in December. I want to wish His Highness Crown Prince Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed and all the citizens of the United Arab Emirates, our new friends, a very joyous national day. Since the signing of the historic peace treaty between us, Israel-UAE relations have been moving ahead rapidly. 
quicker than we anticipated. In fact, at breakneck speed, we're cooperating in so many fields, in science and technology, in commerce and investments, in healthcare and education, in transportation and tourism, and these and so many other areas. Our partnership is bringing tangible benefits to both our peoples. The fruits of peace are at hand. So when the UAE succeeds, Israel succeeds. And when Israel succeeds, the UAE succeeds. May our new partnership be an example to all nations of the Middle East. Together, we're building a better future for our two countries, for the region, and for the world. Happy National Day. May God bless all of you. So you can see there the depth of feeling and the depth of cooperation that's now even taking place even in a few months. We have um, Israel doing a deal with, with the Sudan. I'm not going to go into that too much. We have Israel doing a deal with Morocco at peace, normalizing relations. And uh, back in September, when the, the Abraham Accords were signed, there was mention of five additional countries considering normalizing their ties with, with Israel. So this is momentous, uh, you know, it really is. And remember we mentioned Didan, which was in Saudi Arabia? Well, a lot of commenta commentators are, believe that, um, that really there's going to be a Saudi Arabian peace deal coming soon. So this cartoon, obviously, you can see on the left, the Saudi prince and Netanyahu. And on the right, we've got the Ira Iranians who are uh, very antagonistic um, against Israel and the Sunnis. So, you know, we can see that that's happening and moving uh, quite, quite moving forward quite dramatically. Here's, here's one. It says Israel is in talks. This was just the, a few days ago, February 25th. Israel is in talks to establish four nation defense alliance with who? Saudi, UAE and Bahrain. The nations of the Gulf, the Shebas and the Didans coming together against the Iranians and therefore the Russians. Amazing things happening. It really is quite remarkable. Um, we have, uh, you know, Biden, who's just come in. It's a bit tricky. He's sort of paring back some of the things that Trump has done, or at least seeming so. But Iran still thinks that America's pretty much the same. You know, it, they, they, there was a bit of a spat a few weeks ago. Biden policy is the same as Trump says Iran's only presidential candidate. So they're not that happy, really, with America. Um, but, you know, Biden taking that stance has, has made the, uh, the, the Israelis and the Saudi Arabians very concerned because basically Biden was saying um, they can continue forward with their, uh, the, the, uh, the, the nuclear stuff. And that kind of really worries um, Israel so, and the Saudis and, and, and the southern Gulf states. And um, so, you know, in, in that spat, you know, Iran threatened to actually carry on and, and actually get nuclear weapons. Up until now, they've said, oh, no, no, we're not doing anything to do with nuclear weapons. And then suddenly on February the 9th, they've said, yeah, OK, we're going to go for nuclear weapons then. So it's all very, uh, it's all heating up quite a bit. Um, here's another one. A bad sign. Syria, Iran, Russia condemn. Uh, Syria, Iran and Russia condemn a U.S. strike on Iranian-backed militias. So this is the 27th of February. This is this proxy war that's still going on. And look at that. Iran, Persia, Russia, the Ross, Syria in the north, condemning Tarshish powers, you know, the US. So it's fascinating. Syria's ally, Russia, it says there, also condemned the attack. 
with Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov questioning the Biden administration's plans in Syria. So, you know, Biden is a bit softer than Trump, but he still seems to be um, at war as per pr the, previous, uh, the previous administration. Meanwhile, uh, Russia and Iran are doing naval drills together this week, just this oh, well, couple of weeks ago, I think it was, 16th of February. So, you know, we're looking for a military alliance between uh, the Persians and the, the Russians. And we're seeing that happening right before our eyes. We, we, we're looking here, Israel, Saudi officials discuss Biden's planned return to, Iden, uh, to Iran nuclear deal. Notice this, senior Israeli and Saudi officials so that's Israel and, and, and uh, Didan, recently held several phone calls to discuss the Biden administration's plans to rejoin the Iran nuclear deal, Israeli television reported Tuesday. During the conversations, the Saudis expressed concern over the new US administration and lamented its focus on human rights violations in the kingdom, according to the Cannes public broadcaster. Israel currently has no diplomatic relations with Saudi Arabia, but has maintained long and clandestine ties that have strengthened in recent years. As the two countries have confronted a shared threat in Iran. Since September, Israel has struck normalization agreements with the UAE, Bahrain, Sudan, Morocco, and US, with, with US officials saying a deal with Saudi Arabia is inevitable. So Bible prophecy is happening, my dear friends. These things were written by God. He marked out the time periods. We're seeing them come to pass before our very eyes. It's mind-blowing in a way. And this is why we wanted to say, like, our community has been talking about some of these things for over 100 years, and now we're seeing them happen. We believe we're on the cusp of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these things, this great battle that takes place, we believe is the storm that's coming. And it's described as a storm in Ezekiel 38, verse 9. I don't know if you noticed that. Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to cover the land. It's going to be a storm like no other, politically, militarily seen in the modern times. And here it's going to come on the, on the, on, on the land. But we believe that it's going to show, uh, it's going to cause the Lord Jesus Christ to return to the earth to save Israel. Now, if, you, um, if you've got a Bible, you can flick over to another prophecy that talks about these exact same things, just with different language. And this is what you have to do with the Bible. You kind of have to harmonize different parts of it. And um, you can see, though, here that it's clearly talking about the same time when Israel's attacked by a confederacy of nations. Here's Zechariah 14.2. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, says God. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. So this is going to happen. This is what the prophets are saying. There's this great attack about to take place. But notice this. It says in chapter 14, verse 4, Then shall the Lord, Yahweh is... God's name, go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley. 
And the Lord, Yahweh, shall be king over all the earth. In that day, there shall be one Lord, Yahweh, and his name one. Now, there's so much stuff packed away in that. But basically, what it's saying is, is that one will come who bears God's name. He will come at the time when all the nations are attacking Jerusalem. And his feet are going to stand on this, this Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And that, that mountain is going to split in two. And it's going to destroy those invading armies. And he's going to save the Jews. And he's going to establish his kingdom. You know, I don't know if you know the, the Christmas story where Gabriel says that the Lord Jesus will sit on the throne of his father, David. You know, this is a literal kingdom coming on the earth. And these events are building up to that. And we believe as Christadelphians that the faithful will be raised and given eternal life to be with Jesus at the time when these things take place. Now, just look at this. This is um, from Google. Um, this is uh, Jerusalem. My, my overlays on top is there in the blue. And on the east, of course, is the Mount of Olives. You can go there today. In fact, we were there this time last year. We were literally pretty much uh, just a few days off. We were actually literally looking at this view. So this is we're stood here on the Mount of Olives and we're looking over at Jerusalem. And you can see there the Muslim Dome of the Rock and um, the Alaska Mosque. And uh, you can see very clearly how that the Mount of Olives is, is you know, is, is where we are there looking uh, towards Jerusalem. You can see the walls of Jerusalem going around there. So we are at the very spot that Zechariah, the prophet, prophesied that, that, that Jesus is going to return and his, the power of his feet are going to split that Mount of Olives in two. Now, if you've got a Bible, flick over to Acts the book of Acts in the New Testament, because if you've if you've only really um, heard uh, or considered what mainstream Christianity teach, you might be thinking this is a bit strange. What do you mean Jesus is going to return? Well, we believe that it's very clear teaching in the Bible that that's the case. It says, for example, in Acts chapter one, look at this when Jesus rose up into heaven in Acts chapter one and verse 11 some um, uh, angels appear and they say to the disciples who are watching Jesus ascend to heaven, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So this Jesus who's gone up there, as you're looking at him, he's going to come exactly the same way back again. And guess where they were? Guess where they were when that took place. Look at verse. Um, look at verse twelve. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. So they were on the Mount of Olives, and these angels are saying exactly the same thing as Zechariah. Look, this Jesus is going to come back, and his feet are going to land on the Mount of Olives. He's going to come back in the same way you've seen him go, and that's the that's the thing that the Christadelphians we're waiting for. And we see all of these things happening around us and we realize and we believe that they're sure signs of the times that soon that's going to take place. That this, uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ is soon to come to this place, Jerusalem, and to begin his rule of peace and righteousness for the world there. And uh, really, that shouldn't be a surprise. As we say, this is all through the Bible. 
Jesus tells us to pray for that kingdom to come, for God's will to be done on the earth. And we've already referenced this. The angel to Mary says that Jesus will be great and called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. And where was that throne? In Jerusalem, ruling over a literal territory with a literal law. That's what we believe is coming on the earth. So to be have a part in that coming kingdom is really what we call the gospel, the good news. That's what the Bible calls it, that we have an opportunity to be with Christ in that time, not with any of these nations who, who are all mortal and who are all pass off the scene, but we have an opportunity to, to be given eternal life, which is very different to the frailty that we have got today, and that we can be part of that kingdom. And the Bible teaches us that really to be part of that, we need to believe God's gospel and be baptized into the saving name of Christ and live a godly life. And we're promised that if we do that, we'll have a part in the resurrection of the dead and be given eternal life to live with Christ in that kingdom. And so that's what we preach and teach. And obviously, I've just touched on those things. But we would encourage you to keep coming back where those these key subjects are, are dealt with by, uh, by us and, by, and from the Christadelphians here in Nottingham. So Israel's peace deals, we believe, are a sure sign of the times that soon the Lord Jesus Christ will be here. And so I want to thank you very much for listening to what we've had to say. We've covered a lot and I'm sure um, hopefully uh, you found some of it interesting. Mm -hmm.